Good evening, and welcome to Crime and Punishment. This is Joan DeMartin. The title of tonight's post is The Poetry of Divisive Concepts and Why We Need Them for Progress. I'm going to start with a quote from the New York Times, and it's from an article that I'm going to focus on in this post. Quote, our founding concept of universal equality in a country where one-fifth of the population was enslaved led to an increase in racial prejudice by creating a cognitive dissonance that could be resolved only by the white citizenry's assumption of black inferiority and inhumanity. It's an unsettling idea that the most revered ideal of the Declaration of Independence might be considered our original divisive concept. End quote. I'm resisting the typical end-of-the-year roundup, posts I've written, topics we've discussed in the last year. Instead, I'll focus on one word, one idea, that might propel our way to substantive change in the coming new year, and that word is divisive. At first blush, it appears counterintuitive. Divisiveness is supposedly a negative concept, especially considering today's politics as one pertinent example. Rather, it should strive to come together to solve problems, work across the aisle, and stop inflammatory talk that, well, leads to divisiveness. I'm all for uniting and working together, but it can't always accomplish the substantive change that moves us forward as a country. To jumpstart the change, perhaps a different tactic is needed, at least at the beginning, and the consensus and working across the aisle parts come at the end. A New York Times article titled The 1619 Project and the Long Battle over U.S. History speaks bitter truths, not just about our country's less-than-rosy history, but about the current roadblocks. Some people, elected officials and private citizens alike, advocate to shut down truth and the progress that comes with it. This article, written in late 2021, explores in great detail the background of the 1619 Project and its subsequent implementation and expansion, which I've mentioned in a previous post. But it's the ensuing backlash to this project that is really fascinating. Although the 1619 Project is essentially the introduction of additional factual information about our country's slaveholding past into our K-12 through curriculum through the perspective of slaves and black Americans in their own voices, including narrative prose, fiction, poetry, and a focus on the contributions of black citizens to our history, it has become its own divisive force, according to its opponents. And here's a quote from that same New York Times article. Opponents believed that history that dwells on unsavory or even horrific episodes in our past is unpatriotic and likely to alienate young students from their own country. And the proponents of the 1619 Project believed 
Exposing students to grim chapters of our history is essential to the creation of, of informed, responsible citizens, end quote. For example, Senator Tom Cotton, Republican of Arkansas, introduced a bill embarrassingly called the Saving American History Act to prohibit the use of federal funds to integrate the 1619 Project studies into the national K-12 curriculum. He referred to the proposed 1619 Project curriculum as racially divisive and said that its inclusion in our country's K-12 studies would result in a revisionist account of history that could deny the, quote, noble principles and equality on which our nation was founded, end quote. Although Senator Cotton's bill never became law, it purportedly inspired 12 states to enact statutes that currently prohibit the integration of the 1619 curriculum into the public schools. According to this construction, it is divisive then to tell the truth. To upend our self-congratulatory version of American history with additional facts that broaden and deepen our knowledge of our shared past. How do we learn from our history, including our mistakes, if much of it is simply isn't written down and then suddenly studied because current and future generations aren't able to see it? To really learn critical thinking skills, as our current K-12 curriculum swears our students do, shouldn't our children be taught the importance of holding two contradictory ideas at the same time and then how to reconcile or not reconcile them? Like the fact that our country was founded on both slavery and freedom. Interestingly, the author of this New York Times article, Jake Silverstein, proposes that rather than ban concepts thought to be divisive, we instead require them to be studied, starting with the idea that all men are created equal. We don't have to strain too much, though, to find that many of our, many of our great artists intend to upend our traditional thinking, or at least urge us to think differently from our fathers. Even an occasion as mundane as repairing a wall separating two properties deserves to be questioned and maybe today would be called divisive rhetoric because it might be construed to contradict the wisdom of a traditional narrative. And that narrative is good fences make good neighbors. Enjoy reading one of my favorite poems written by, ironically, a long-dead white man, Robert Frost. I'm going to read this poem just because I can't resist it. Um, I am sure that poetry is best read by its author aloud, but I'm going to do this anyway just because I love the poem so much. Mending Wall by Robert Frost Something there is that doesn't love a wall that sends the frozen ground swell under it and spills the upper boulders in the sun, and makes gaps even two can pass abreast. The work of hunters is another thing. I have come after them and made repair where they have left not one stone on a stone, but they would have that rabbit out of hiding to please the yelping dogs. 
The gaps, I mean. No one has seen them made or heard them made, but at spring mending time we find them there. I let my neighbor know beyond the hill, and on a day we meet to walk the line and set the wall between us once again. We keep the wall between us as we go. To each the boulders that have fallen to each. And some are loaves, and some so nearly balls we have to use a spell to make them balance. Stay where you are until our backs are turned. We wear our fingers rough with handling them. Oh, just another kind of outdoor game, one on the side. It comes to little more. There, where it is, we do not need the wall. He is all pine, and I am apple orchard. My apple trees will never get across and eat the cones under his pines, I tell him. He only says, good fences make good neighbors. Spring is the mischief in me, and I wonder if I could put a notion in his head. Why do they make good neighbors? Isn't it where there are cows? But here there are no cows. Before I built a wall, I'd asked to know what I was walling in or walling out, and to whom I was like to give offense. Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that wants it down. I could say elves to him, but it's not elves exactly, and I'd rather he said it for himself. I see him there bringing a stone, grasped firmly by the top, in each hand like an old stone savage armed. He moves in darkness, as it seems to me, not of woods only in the shade of trees. He will not go behind his father's saying, and he likes having thought of it so well he says it again. Good fences make good neighbors. The, poet, the poem is courtesy of the Poetry Foundation, by the way. Let me know your thoughts in the comments section below. And please accept my deepest gratitude to each and every subscriber and reader of Crime and Punishment, Why the Poor Stay Poor in America. I wish you and your families only the best in 2023. As always, I appreciate your interest and thoughtful ideas that make our crime and punishment community a welcoming space to visit and chat. There's no time like the present to become a free or paid subscriber, and there's no time like the new year to upgrade your free subscription to paid. It's easy and will allow me to continue to expand crime and punishment. Thanks in advance for your support. As always, thanks for reading and listening. This was Joan D. Martin from Crime and Punishment, Why the Poor Stay Poor in America. Thank you.